Welcome to the Spooky Electric Podcast by me, Trent Venegas. You need another podcast like you need another hole in your head. So here we go. It is time for another episode of Spooky Electric. And for this episode, I decided uh, to talk about duets, like some of my favorite duets. And obviously, it made more sense to do it with a partner. So I decided to invite back uh, Mr. Austin Riva to join me for this podcast. I'm here live and in person. Thank you for having me back. Yes, for the first time, we are podcasting in the same room, awkwardly not trying to look at each other because we're talking to each other. This is how you podcast with social distancing. We'll have to take a photo so you guys can see uh, this hilarious setup right now. We've normally, uh, or before when we've done our previous episodes, we've done it remotely. We've each been on our phones in our the safety of our homes, but now we are together in person for your podcasting listening pleasure. Here we go. So <clears throat> when I decided that I wanted to do duets, uh, and I decided that I wanted to have Austin join me, uh, I asked him to compile a list of his 10 favorite duets, and then I compiled my list of 10 favorite duets, and, and we didn't know what the other person was going to pick. When uh, we showed each other our lists, uh, it turned out to be like a really great playlist. I sequenced, I sequenced them where uh, the songs were uh, every other, so Austin's first song, and then my song, and then his song, and then my song. And it just, they just work so well together. I mean, this playlist is really, really cool. It's actually one of the favorite playlists that I've made, that we've made. And um, I'm excited to talk about the songs. Yeah, the sequencing that you put together is really cool. So I think that uh, everyone that's listening should definitely give the playlist a listen after you listen to us. Um, When we came up with our lists, there was only one song that we both picked and then Austin decided to just pick a different song. So that worked out really nicely. And there is one artist who appears twice on one of his songs and one of my songs. And we will talk about that artist when we get to those songs. So let's get started. Austin, what is the first song that you picked uh, for this playlist? The first song is a duet between Enya and Sinead O'Connor from Sinead's first album, The Lion and the Cobra, and the song is called Never Get Old. Um, I've always been obsessed with that whole album, but this song is just so like atmospheric and kind of spooky, I guess, and the lyrics are great. And an interesting fact that I learned while, because I was like, well, if I'm going to talk about the song, I should read about it. So... Enya, her, her contribution to the song, she doesn't sing, she just recites a psalm in Irish, and the psalm that she recites is Psalm 9113, and the verse, when translated into English, says, you will tread upon the lion and the cobra, hence the album title. So I thought that was really a cool little factoid, but the song's just cool. Wait, so what language does she sing it in? Irish. Gaelic. The internet tells me Irish. Are you sure it's not Loxian? It could be Loxian. She did invent her own language, if y'all don't know that, Enya. 
Um, that's funny because I never realized what she was singing. Honestly, the first time I ever heard the song on the record, I wasn't into Enya. I might have known about Enya. She was in Clannad at the time, is that right? She was. She hadn't like broken out as a solo artist yet. And, and another interesting thing is like you really hear on this song where Enya was going to go, sonically. So, Yeah, I think this song is a really good representation of both of these artists, what they ended up doing with their solo careers. Mm -hmm. um, they were both pretty brand new. This is Sinead's debut album. Enya hadn't gone solo yet. And um, it's, it's a really fantastic song. I love this record. This whole record is fantastic. Um, and I can't think of a better... <laughs> I can't think of a, a better song to represent something that you would love than a, a Sinead O'Connor <laughs> song with Enya duetting with her. It's like almost too perfect to be true for me. Um, the, the, the first song that I picked for my list and our next song is Pass the Mission by Tori Amos and Trent Reznor. And what I love about this song is this song was the gateway drug for me to get into Tori. So Under the Pink is her uh, second album and I was super into Nine Inch Nails at this at this point, you know. Um, Pretty Hate Machine, you know, was 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 out. The Broken EP had come out, and the Downward Spiral had come out, and so I was super super into Nine Inch Nails, and I heard that there was this you know this new well there was this artist who had a song and Trent Reznor sang on it, so of course I had to run out and get it because I was like devouring anything that was Nine Inch Nails related at the time. I distinctly remember going and buying this album, the CD at Best Buy in, I want to say, Southgate, Michigan. Um, and I, I liked it. I remember being pretty disappointed that, you know, it's kind of like Trent doing a little bit backup, not so much like a proper, proper duet. And I remember thinking, cool song, Trent's on it, great. And I didn't really think about Tori Amos very much after that. Um, I did meet uh, one of my really, really good friends who ended up becoming my college roommate, Mike. He was a massive Tori Amos fan. And he was, he was like, no, there's more to Tori that you have to, to get into. But it was the first time seeing her live that really changed it for me. So, um, so yeah, if it wasn't for... Trent Reznor, I probably would have, I don't know that I wouldn't have gotten into Tori Amos, but I certainly would have gotten into Tori Amos at this point. Um, the other great thing, or the, the kind of cool thing about this song, um, it's not entirely sure what the story is, but uh, rumor has it that Tori and Trent were romantic at this time. Um, they were both kind of like these alt- darlings, you know, like he was aggressive, industrial, kind of underground. Like Nationals hadn't really gotten popular yet. And, you know, Tori was this, you know, ethereal girl in a piano, indie artist who also wasn't like mainstream. So they were kind of like this perfect alt darling couple. And Tori tells this story where after so it's her song she asked Trent to sing on it. He agreed. And to thank him, she cooked him dinner at his house. So he recorded the entire uh, uh, Downward Spiral album at the 
Sharon Tate house. So when he moved to California, he rented the the house where the Manson murders happened. And uh, and I believe that that's where he recorded, if that's not at least where they recorded the entire song, that's where he recorded his portion for the song. So she decided to cook him dinner and she, fam- she famously tells a story where she cooked him chicken or something and it was in the oven for like two hours or something and it came out raw and she's like the house must have been haunted and she, she the way she tells it it's hilarious maybe i'll clip it into this podcast so you can hear her her tell the story but um i kind of always like the idea of tori and trent being a couple and you know as the gossip goes their relationship was ruined by another female artist austin do you know who i'm talking about Yes, that would be the queen of the universe, Courtney Love, who's also on this list. Which is interesting because, again, for this, for our purposes, I don't want to get into the whole, like, you know, Courtney broke them up bullshit, because I feel like there's a whole lot of, you know, stories out there about pitting women against one another, and it's all this woman's fault, this, blah, blah, blah. But, um, but yeah, once upon a time, Tori and Trent were an item, and they recorded uh, Past the Mission, which is one of my favorite songs. That's one of my favorite Tory songs, too, and I love the video as well. It's one of my favorite Tory videos. And his his contribution is subtle, but it's so necessary for the song to work the way that it does. And and, it, and the priest in the video is really hot. So. I, feel, I feel like they... This is a really cool collaboration between the two of them. And it's just, you just wonder what things would have happened uh, had, I don't know. Had Hurricane Courtney not blown in when she did. <laughs> um, one last thing about uh, Tori and Trent, or at least Tori and Nine Inch Nails. She uh, referenced Nine Inch Nails uh, before they collaborated on her, on her first album. She sings about Nine Inch Nails. And there's a lyric about Nine Inch Nails in one of her songs. Little fascist panties tucked inside the heart of every nice girl. Uh, so Tori was a Trent fan, and it's just cool the way this whole collaboration worked out. Yeah. All right, Austin, what is your next song? Ooh, that is a good question. My next song is In Denial by Pet Shop Boys and one Kylie Minogue. This was recorded in a strange period in Kylie's career because she had just done Impossible Princess, which is super indie. They call it Indie Kylie. And um, the Pet Shop Boys, I mean, I feel like the Pet Shop Boys have always just been the Pet Shop Boys. I never feel like they have a down moment. But this song is really interesting because it's sung. So Neil Tennant is singing as a gay dad and... Kylie is his daughter and they're having this back and forth and she's telling him that his life would be easier if he drank less did less drugs and he's like ashamed and it's this really like really interesting story and the way that they tell it is it still affects me like God, I probably heard that song 15 years ago for the first time but it still gets me every time I hear it and she also has a really great performance of it on her showgirl tour which you should check out but it's just I I love the story I love the way that their voices go together. I wish they'd done more stuff than just that one song. It's interesting. This is a really good example of a duet that tells a story. Not, you know, not all duets take that form where it's like a back and forth sort of thing. Um, 
about Kylie's indie period when I talked about the Stock Aiken Waterman, you know, factory where Kylie came from. The first part of her career was very manufactured. It was very, um, uh, you know, she was kind of like formed and molded and the songs were written for her. And when she grew up and decided, you know, to speak more, to sing about things she really wanted to sing about, um, that's kind of when this indie period came in. So uh, it's kind of cool that the Pet Shop Boys recognize, I mean, they must have been Kylie fans. Um, I don't know, locomotion, tears on my pillow sort of thing. I mean, it's, I, Do- Kylie's like Dolly Parton to me. Anybody that doesn't like her freaks me out because she's so likable. Like how there's, she has something for everybody. She's like the nicest, coolest person. I just don't get people who are like, oh, she sucks. I just feel like even to this day, like Americans just don't know. Like gays know her. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, you know, like the regular radio listener, like the top four, the American top 40 audience just does not, they just don't know. I just feel like they just don't know. She's too Euro. She's too Euro. She's yeah. too she's too intellectual for us Americans. Um, so my next song is I Knew You Were Waiting For Me by Aretha Franklin and George Michael. And this is hands down one of my favorite duets of all time. This is actually the song that in, that triggered me to write down this this idea of doing duets for the podcast because it's it's just one of my favorite songs. And it's not something that I it's not a song that I listen to all the time. I remember, you know, when it was on the radio, the MTV, uh, the the music video on MTV. Um, I love Aretha in, like, grand terms. Like, she's the queen of soul. She's, you know, the queen of gospel. Neither things are really up my alley. Like, I don't really listen to soul music a lot. But her voice is undeniable. Her Aretha album, where the song is from, is a pop it's just pop perfection. You know, she did her whole gospel thing, she did the whole soul thing, and then in the 80s she went quote-unquote pop, Freeway, uh, Freeway of Love, uh, Pink Cadillac, like those are great pop songs. And I think, well this is for sure one of my favorite Aretha pop songs. Um, George Michael, fantastic singer. Obviously we loved him in Wham! When he went solo, you know, we love his Faith album. I loved his Faith record. Everybody loves Faith. That's a perfect album. So it's, it was just kind of cool that Aretha decided to have George sing with her on this song. Like, I don't really know where that came from, if it was like, you know, a record company decision or something, but they just, the song goes really, really well. Uh, the, their voices go really, really well together on the song. It is an odd pairing. And I never even knew that they did a song together before you put it on here. And it's so fun. It has such energy. Vocally, they're both, like, killing it, top of their game. It's her biggest hit. Uh, really? They won the 1987 Grammy for Best R&B Performance by a Duo or Group. Wow. Um, and another fun thing about this record, is it's titled Aretha, and um, Andy Warhol did the album cover art. Wow, I did not know any of that. And that's why we're talking about it. Oh. All right, so what is your next song? My next song is Revelations by Yoko Ono and Cat Power. Now, I know when I throw anything Yoko into a list, people are like, oh God, she's going to be screaming and wailing. But the the biggest thing that I always try to impart to people about Yoko is that she's actually an insanely brilliant songwriter 
and artist and human being, philanthropist, and I feel like it's my life's mission to get people into Yoko Ono. I can verify, I can vouch for that. <laughs> Austin has been pushing Yoko on me since we met, which, to, to his credit, because I never really uh, paid attention to Yoko Ono's work on her own, um, I do feel incumbent on reminding people that she's finally getting credit for having co-written Imagine uh, with John Lennon yes. um, for so many years. Whatever. I mean, the point is Yoko Ono is an amazing artist, and I've learned all I know about her from you. So. Well, good. That makes me happy. Please continue. But, so, uh, this song, Revelations, actually originates from 1985 on her album Star Piece, and it was called Rainbow Revelation. And same lyrics, different arrangement. She then recorded it again in 1995 on her album Rising. It was called Revelations now. And this version is a rework done by Cat Power where she turned it into a duet. Yoko came in and did some new vocals. And it's lyrically, it's like one of my top three favorite songs of all time. I think that it's so, it's like if there's a song to live your life by, this is the song. And their voices go oddly beautiful together. So I, as soon as like, when I started thinking of duets, I was like Yoko and Cat Power. That was one of the first things I thought of because it's just such a brilliant, brilliant duet. Um, there are a couple of songs that you picked that I had never heard before. I know I heard this one only because it's a song you played for me before. You know, we've done road trips and we've done other sorts of things where you're like, listen to this CD. <laughs> um, but it's not one that I know well. And for whatever reason, I know Cat Power is like an, a really cool artist, a really great singer. I never got into her. I just don't know if I've invested the time, but I, I definitely know that, you know, Cat Power is fantastic. I just don't know much about her. Same. I, this is the extent of my Cat Power knowledge, honestly. But for sure, I have friends who are huge Cat Power fans, so um, it's kind of cool that Yoko was like, decided to have her on to duet with her. Yes, and so this comes from an album called Yes, I'm a Witch, and each song is a collaboration with people like Peaches, The Apples in Stereo, The Flaming Lips, and then she also did a sequel many years later called Yes, I'm a Witch 2, which Yoko always picks the most badass collaborators, and it always, she always picks the ones that, that she knows that it'll work. So... I definitely recommend, if you ever, like, that's how I started my, my Yoko rabbit hole, and if anybody out there is curious, I would definitely start with Yes, I'm a Witch, and Yes, I'm a Witch, too, because it really, like, they're just, it's brilliant renditions of her music. Um, my next song is You Got the Look by Prince and Sheena Easton, and again, when I'm thinking about duets and my favorite duets, like this is for sure one of my favorite duets. Prince has duetted with many people. He's done great duets and musical collaborations with a whole host of people. But I think this might be my favorite of his duets. It's a fantastic pop song. It's on one of his most uh, important albums. Uh, interesting. So I have previously talked about you know, like my favorite, like my, my pop divas. And, you know, I love Britney Spears, but before Britney Spears, I loved Paula Abdul. Like she was my obsession. But before Paula Abdul, it was Sheena Easton. And Sheena Easton, you know, was big in the 80s, but she wasn't Madonna big. She wasn't Janet Jackson big. 
she wasn't Paula Abdul big, but something about Sheena, uh, I just loved her. You know, she, her, I think her first record came out in 1980 or late 70s. Like she, the whole 80s um, has Sheena Easton music in it. Um, and when Prince collabed with her, I was like, oh my God, this is like awesome. Like finally Sheena Easton's going to get the attention she deserves. And this might be, I'm not sure, but I think this might be her biggest hit because she uh, sings with Prince. Um, this song was one of the last songs that was recorded for Sign of the Times, or maybe it was one of the last songs that was added to the track list. So the time period around where Sign of the Times came out was a very creative period for Prince. He had recorded the Black album and he wanted to release it and then decided not to and then pulled it and then recorded a whole other record to replace it. He was also working on a side project called Camille, where he had he took on this uh, female persona, and all of the songs are sang from the perspective of this persona, Camille, and he's the one who wrote the songs and who sings the songs. And to di different, differentiate between Prince and Camille, he sped up his voice so it sounds like higher. So. Prince already has a high voice, and then Camille has a little higher voice. So like Erotic City, um, Shockadelica, Rebirth of the Flesh, like those are all like Camille voice songs. And You Got the Look was intended for the Camille album. I don't hear Camille in Prince's vocals in this. No. Uh, this sounds to me like Prince, but it was intended for the Camille album. So make of that what you will. I don't know if his original intention was, you know, it would be Camille and Prince voices on that record, but who knows? The album never came out. We would still speculation. I should know the answer to this, but did You Got the Look come before or after Sugar Walls? After. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought, but I wasn't sure. Because yeah. that's a really great song he wrote and produced for her, right? Yeah. So he, for sure, she, for sure, was on his radar from the beginning. I yeah. think that was at least a couple, two to three years before this came out. Um, and the way I understand it, uh, there's a fantastic uh, podcast, an official Prince podcast that is produced by the Prince Estate. And it's it's so well done. I cannot recommend it more. Um and they did an eight-episode series of the Sign of the Times album. And if I remember correctly, the part where they talk about the recording of this song, he decided he wrote it either really quickly or he wrote it near the end of the recording process for, for the album. Um, and he decided that he wanted Sheena. He called her, like, that day, and she either came in that night or the next day. I mean, it came together really, really fast. She showed up, she recorded her parts, I think, in one or two takes, and it's honestly one of his best singles, one of my favorite duets, one of her biggest hits, and it just came together so perfectly, I think. Well, we could do a whole episode just about Prince duets, because he has so many great duets. I mentioned this uh, <clears throat> in my earlier episode about Paisley Park, about how I've been kind of um, anxious to do an entire Prince episode, because I really want to do him justice. like. He's so much of a genius, so much of a legend, and, like, I love him so much, I don't want to, like, fuck it up when I do a Prince 
episode. Yeah, but for sure. It I have, definitely have to be a series. You can't just do one Prince episode. For sure. And that's the other thing, too. Like, what do I talk about? How do I <laughs> pare it down to, you know, 15 to 20 songs? Yeah. But we'll get there. And so I'm going to I'm gonna put down Prince duets for uh, a future episode idea. Hell yeah. All right. So what is your next song? My next song is um, Michael Stipe from R.E.M. and the previously mentioned Courtney Love singing Rio Grande from an album of um, sea shanties. <laughs> so it's Rio Grande. Well, in the song they say Rio Grande. This is one of those things like I would, I just, I never know how to say anything, but I'm just going with how they say it in the song. Gotcha. So I'm going to blame Courtney once again because <laughs> <laughs> it's very easy in life to blame everything on Courtney Love. Yeah, if something goes wrong, it's Courtney Love. <laughs> Damn it, Courtney. But, um, so this is one of those things that I'm just like, why the hell does this exist? Like, in what universe did an album of sea shanties be like, hey, you know who we should get? Courtney Love and Michael Stipe from R.E.M. And they were like, yeah, I'm down. Like, the one, like, they've been great friends for decades. The one collaboration they've done is the sea shanty. I don't know why it exists, but I love that it does exist because it's so weird, but it's so great. And who, wrote, who wrote it? I, you know, I don't know. Or is know. it a cover? I'm pretty sure it's like one of those, those old, old songs that the sailors would sing or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so I, it's a cover that they, that they did together. I'm pretty sure um, that I actually don't know for sure, but it's just so weird, but it works so well and it's just, I don't know. I just keep picturing like Courtney Love and like like the, the 1500s on like the the front of this old wooden ship singing this song in like pirate gear and it just makes me laugh but it's like a pretty cool song really this is one of the songs I never heard before um it's interesting because Michael Stipe is also very good friends with Tori Amos um she has covered uh Losing My Religion by R.E.M. Mm. and uh I believe they 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 did a live performance together once I wanna I wanna say Maybe it was Father Lucifer, but maybe that was Maynard from Tool. But um, they are also friends. So, um, yeah, like the the Courtney Tory universe uh, ensnares multiple male artists. The Courtney Love Tory Amos cinematic universe. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So my next song um, is Defying Gravity, the song from Wicked sung by Kristen Chenoweth and Idina Menzel. And, I mean, I'm not a big show tunes person. I, I like seeing musicals, and I'm a big Broadway fan, but, you know, I don't spend, you know, my late nights belting show tunes like some gays stereotypically do. <laughs> but um, I love Wicked. Wicked is one of my favorite shows. It's got really, really great music, and this song is really... It's, it's a great... This is a great duet. Um, it's so pivotal to the story. Uh, it's a showstopper. It's the last song of the first half of, of the performance. So they belt out Defying Gravity, and then the curtain drops, and it's the intermission, and you're, it's, it's, it's such a big, big song for the show. Um, it's so popular that Idina Menzel has recorded remixes of it all by herself and released them as singles, and they're played in, like, you know... It's meant for, like, the gay clubs, and I'm sure that they are played, um, you know. That's why I don't go to clubs anymore. <laughs> but um, this is one of those duets that's um, designed to be a story and a back and forth. So they're talking to one another, and they're, they're uh, advancing the narrative based on, on what they're singing back and forth. 
It's just an iconic song from an iconic musical. I mean, I know nothing about Broadway and shows like that, but I know this song. And I know, obviously, everybody knows Wicked, but the fact that I just... I don't even know how I know it, but the fact that I heard this, I was like, oh, yeah, this is from Wicked. Like, that shows... For somebody that knows nothing about that world, like how iconic and memorable and unique this song is. It's such a great song, and it and it's really served by being sung by two big voices. It's just like, you belt this powerhouse song. Um, and I don't know if it's my advancing age or what, but I get chills from this song. I mean, I just, I love the story so much, and I love the show so much. I will say, the book is absolutely Horrible. The book that it is, is based on is nothing like the show. And I remember when I first saw Wicked and I loved it. I read the book and I hated the book. The book is terrible. So um, the I don't remember who wrote the book, but that author owes the the music the Wicked producers everything because they took his terrible terrible book and turned it into a fantastic fantastic show so what Trent is trying to say is make sure you get out tomorrow morning and get that book first thing you do if you read this book and you do not blame me for wasting your time on this book I mean if you're curious for sure check it out it is terrible it is the biggest waste of time ever just listen to the soundtrack go see the show once Broadway's open again uh, once once touring musicals happen again um, uh yeah, so this song, fantastic. Love, love, love. And when I'm thinking duets, I'm thinking Defying Gravity. Yeah. All right, Austin, what is your next song? My track nine. Track nine is um, a cover. It's by Dolly Parton, and she is singing with Ladysmith Black Mombazo, which is an incredible band. If you have not heard their album, Shaka Zulu, listen to it. It'll change your life. Um, this song comes from, well, it's a, first of all, it's a cover of the Cat Stevens song, Peace Train. And it comes from a strange time in Dolly's career because the mid nineties, basically all of the nineties for Dolly Parton was weird. Like she was huge in the eighties. She had her huge comeback with bluegrass in the two thousands and then has been huge since then once again. But the nineties, she was just kind of like, I don't think she knew what to do. I don't think people knew what they wanted from her. So... She did the odd choice of making a covers album, which for one of the greatest songwriters in American music history to do a covers album is kind of like, what? But um, she records this cover of Peace Train and she gets Ladysmith Black Mombazo to sing with her. And I spend a lot of time thinking about how the hell did these two artists find each other? I would love to know the story. I don't. I haven't been able to find the story. If it was a label thing, if Dolly was a fan, if they reached out to her, I do not know. But they also do another great cover many, many, many years later. I think this is two or three years ago of Bob Dylan's Knocking on Heaven's Door. Oh, wow. So that was really hard for me to pick which, which cover, which duet between them I wanted to do. But this one was the first one. I think it works a little bit better than the, the Dylan cover. But it's just one of those instances where you where you take the two most unlikely collaborators, collaborators, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it works so well. Like, it's the best thing ever. Like, who would ever think in a million years that Dolly Parton and Ladysmith Black Mombazo would would cover a Cat Stevens song and make it better than the original? But they did, and it worked so well that she collaborated with them again. And it's one of my favorites on this list because it's so unlikely, but it's such a huge success. 
Uh, this is another one of your picks that I had never heard before. I didn't even know it existed. Um, but now that you explain that it's from her, the 90s, like, that makes sense. Because the 90s is like a black hole of, like, Dolly hits. And I, when I think about, like, I don't, I'm, you know, I don't really know country music very well. But when I think about country music in the 90s, you know, Garth Brooks made it pop in the early part of the 90s. And then Shania Twain, you know shot it way more into the pop mainstream at the end of the 90s. So I guess Dolly was like in the middle doing, you know, her Lady Smith Black Mambazo covers and staying out of their way. Yeah, but I mean, wait, what did you think of the song? Like, did you think it was a success? It's it's great. I didn't know it was um, a Cat Stevens song. Um, it sounds like something that Dolly could have written herself. Like, she's such a fantastic songwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my assumption, um, but it's a really great collaboration. I think that that uh, you know their voices sound really, really cool together. It's a, it's a cool song. Now I'm curious to hear what the original sounds like. Yeah. Um, my next song is "Kids" by Robbie Williams and Kylie Minogue, um, and this is a Kylie Minogue song that Robbie Williams wrote. So Robbie and uh, Guy Chambers wrote the song for Kylie, and it was a duet in, uh, that they recorded for her album, Light Years. But then he released a, an album around the same time, Sing When You're Winning, and he decided to put the duet on his album as well with an added rap outro, which I fucking love. Me too. I could wrap the whole thing for you right now, but I won't. I can too. So maybe <laughs> maybe we'll each record our own Robbie Williams raps, and I'll add them. I don't know. Maybe I won't. That's... And you all can vote who did it better. I feel like, you know, we're sitting here drinking White Claws, and I'm like, oh my god, that sounds like a really fun idea. But, <laughs> but then when I sober up, maybe it's going to be a terrible idea. So no, we're going to do it. Those may or may not come. But um, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a great song. This, you know... Another one of those, you know, a duet mainstay where they sing back and forth and they're singing to each other and they're advancing the story. Um, You know, Kylie and Robbie. Robbie Williams is like the male version of Kylie Minogue in this country. Um, He's huge in the rest of the world. Huge fan base in the rest of the world. No, no, didn't really make a dent in, uh, hasn't made a dent in uh, American popular culture for whatever reason. He's too Euro or whatever. I remember the first time he, uh, played a show in Detroit. He played like this, this St. Andrew's Hall, which is a smaller venue. And I, it was not even sold out. I mean, it was not empty, but it wasn't sold out to capacity. And, you know, like the week before he was playing like Wembley Arena or something like that, like sold like five sold out nights in Wembley Arena. And then he comes to the US and he's playing these tiny, tiny clubs, which is crazy. Um, I like, I like Robbie. I love Kylie. So I'm, I, I've been a Kylie Minogue fan since day one. Uh, I like Robbie. There's a lot of, of his songs that I really like. I'm not the biggest Robbie Williams fan, um, but this is a great collaboration between, again, like the, the, this massive female pop star in the rest of the world and this massive male pop star in the rest of the world. You know, and here in the U.S., it's like crickets. Except for the gays. The gays know what's up. 
I see. I don't even think the gays know Robbie Williams, but I have to say I am the biggest fan of Robbie Williams. Like I saw him in Las Vegas last year. At, oh, recently at the Win, he had a residency, and I love every Robbie Williams song. I'm a stan of Robbie Williams. He lives three miles from me. We could probably see his house if we knew which one it was. But when we're done recording. We're gonna go to Robbie's house, <laughs> and, and we're gonna wrap the kids wrap outside his house. <laughs> Perfect. Now that's an idea that I can I can go with. You know, drunk or sober. Yeah, but so I also I love kids. I love the rap. Uh, the whole single year winning album is brilliant and a story that I've always thought was interesting was uh, When Robbie and Kylie were filming the video for kids at the very end It's the whole video is very like James Bond-esque mm-hmm. and at the end she kind of does her dramatic like oh I've I've lost my my dress that I'm wearing so she was actually naked in front of him and he laughed and since then they've never performed it together he Robbie says that like she was so offended <gasps> That like, and he feels so bad, but he said he was nervous and he saw Kylie naked. So he just laughed. First of all, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. First of all, it's not like Kylie is like this shy flower, like, you know, her sister. Okay. Not even getting into like Danny. Let's not bring Danny into this. Fine. fine. But like, because Kylie is so European, you know, or cosmopolitan of the world, like she never shied away from nudity you know, she's very cheeky, you know, she's done, like, you know, British GQ photo shoots where her, like, you know, bare ass is out and, you know, top is like, holding her, you know, covering with her hands and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, it's not that she was shy, but she really was offended by him, like, like, like... They just, they never, she never sang it with him again, although they do have an, an unreleased duet from either Kylie or Robbie's last album, and it's called... Funnily enough, Disco Symphony, I believe. Hmm. And it was it was in between Kiss Me Once and Golden that Robbie did this song called Disco Symphony, and then it was supposed to be on his album, then her album, then his album again. Still in the vaults. Nobody knows why. Probably because Kylie's still pissed off. <laughs> but <laughs> I'd really I, love to hear them sing together again because they have such a great energy together. I think the way to remedy this is for Robbie Williams to stand full naked in front of Kylie Minogue, <laughs> and then she can laugh or not laugh or whatever, and then the... the the playing field is leveled. She just points and laughs for five minutes and all is well in the world. Yeah. Um, Kylie has performed this song uh, in concert. Usually when she does it, she does it and her backup singers sing the Robbie parts. She famously uh, did a cover of, of Kids with her sister Danny Minogue. I think it was the Kylie show. Like Showgirl was, Homecoming. There you go. And they're wearing cat suits and all of that. Yeah, so. and Bono on that same tour as well. That's right, that's right. So Kylie, you know, loves this song. You know, even though she, I guess you know she's she's still mad at Robbie for laughing at her nakedness. But. Well, it's funny because like if you read the Kylie fan forums, which I do every day, like her fans are so tired of this song. They're like, if she wheels out kids on this tour again, <laughs> we're not going. Like, like it's like she's done it to death. Like we're like do do some kind of bliss. Do did it again. Do put yourself in my place. And she's just like, nope. Here's kids again with my backup singer Roxy. And it's just kind of like, Ugh, okay. But, but I bet the Kylie fans would be very happy if she did it again with Robbie. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's a crowd pleaser for sure, but like the, the, the diehard fans are a little sick of it. But it's a great song, so. Um, all right, next song, you're up. Track 11. The next song is um, Cheryl Crow featuring Stevie Nicks, a cover of Gold Dust Woman from Cheryl's Live in Central Park concert in 1999. 
And Sheryl Crow is one of my musical heroes. I learned to play guitar from her music. I learned to play drums from her music. I learned how to write from like studying her songwriting. I think she's one of the most genius musicians in the world. She plays so many instruments that nobody knows about. Mm -hmm. And she's such a great producer. I mean, she plays, um, oh gosh, I don't remember. She plays some instrument on Johnny Cash's cover of Wayfaring Stranger in the 90s that is just like, it's one of those instruments that nobody even really knows what it is, but she plays it flawlessly. And she produces for people. She shows up on everybody's records. She's never like, you know, needing a, a duet necessarily being like, hey, here I am. She just loves to make music. And the she did, she's done a duet with Prince? Yes. Yes. Actually, no. Well, okay, so this is the thing with Prince. With Prince, they did Every Day is a Winding Road together live, but there's a song on um, Raven to the Joy Fantastic where she plays harmonica on it. That's, right. That's her, like, she just showed up to play harmonica. Like, how cool is that? But, so the reason that I picked this, it's a cover of Gold Dust Woman, um, which Courtney Love also does a great cover of. <laughs> and, but this started Cheryl and Stevie's professional relationship. She went on to do some production and background singing on Stevie's album, I think two years later, called Trouble in Shangri-La. Mm -hmm. um, Cheryl toured with Fleetwood Mac, and I believe did the Christy McVie parts. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that was one of the biggest regrets of me, of wow. shows that I wish that I'd seen, was Cheryl touring as Christy in Fleetwood Mac. As a side note, I, I never wanted to see Fleetwood Mac because they were never whole. And when they finally were whole with Christy McVie, what, five, six years ago? Yeah. A little, not long ago, but a few years ago, I, you know, rushed, I mean, I got, tic I got great tickets at the Staples Center, and it's one of the best concerts I've ever seen in my entire life. Wow. Christy McVie and I have the same birthday, July 12th. Oh. Yeah. I have Carney Wilson. Lucky me. But, um, yeah, so Cheryl and Stevie did a lot of really interesting collaborations after this. The opening song, so Cheryl Crow just released her final album last year called Threads. The opening song is a, I don't know what you call a duet with three people, but it's uh, Cheryl Crow, Stevie Nicks, and Maren Morris on this song called Prove You Wrong. Hmm. Uh, they did a lot of performances. Cheryl and Stevie together, they did, I think, Strong Enough, and they just, they have right. such a such a great chemistry. They like work. they're friends, right? Yeah, yeah, they're totally, totally friends, and they they sing together all the time, and they just their chemistry is like electric. And anytime they sing together, it's great. But this was the first, so that's why I uh, chose this one to include. Yeah, it's a great rendition of the song. Um, and just another aside about Goldust Woman, and you mentioned Courtney's cover is from the Crow Two soundtrack. Mm. which uh, I think that's the best song on that soundtrack. Uh, the, the first Crow soundtrack is Perfection, mm -hmm. and the first Crow film is also Perfection, and every single film after is more terrible <laughs> than the one previous. Um, but I feel like the Crow 2 soundtrack is decent. I think Filter's on that, uh, Courtney's on that. White Zombie covers I'm Your Boogeyman on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great record. Not to get a little bit off topic. Yeah. Okay. Track 12 uh, is my pick, uh, When You Believe, from the Prince of Egypt animated film soundtrack uh, by Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey. The song was written by Stephen Schwartz and Babyface, and is one of the m most anticipated, biggest pop collaborations, I want to say, in modern pop history. Definitely. Um, there's always been this 
I don't even want to use the word rivalry because I don't believe that either Whitney or Mariah ever felt they were rivals to one another. They were just two female singers, big voices, uh, big vocal powerhouses. Whitney obviously came out first and then, and then Mariah. Mm-hmm. Mariah has always talked about how big of a Whitney Houston fan she is. Um, so, you know, I don't really believe that there is this rivalry that, you know, the public or the media or even some fans have purported over the years. Uh, and when they finally duetted together for this animated film, it was a huge deal. Um, I feel like a lot of people really think about, like, the Brandy and Monica, the Boy Is Mine collaboration duet as, like, such a big moment, but that's nothing compared to when Whitney and Mariah duetted together. I mean, the song, it's a great song. Uh, The Prince of Egypt, it's this animated film about the Moses story. I mean, it's, you know, all of that, but uh, I I don't know. I love the song. I mean, what do you think? Do you like the song? So... For anybody out there that does not know, I grew up in a Christian school for, I was in kindergarten all the way till I graduated high school, I was in a Christian school, and this movie was on every day. Really? Yes. This was, like, the movie that we always had to watch. If there was a day that, like, the teacher was not feeling it and she had to put on a movie, it was this. Always the Prince of Egypt. All the time. I'm so sick of this movie. The song, I mean, I was like, I don't know, probably like six when this movie came out, and I'm like, I don't know who these women singing, but I'm like, I'm over the song, I'm over the movie, I'm over the story of Moses, this whole, it's just, listening to that song, it takes me back to being in like the art room at my school, and they wheel that TV in on, like the the big tray, The AV cart. Yeah. And it's just, here comes the Prince of Egypt again. So it's great. Vocally, they sound great. I love Whitney and Mariah. This song, it's just, it's like a PTSD thing for me. <laughs> I just, I can't. But it's a great, technically it's great. For me, no. That's funny. That's the first time I'm hearing about this from you. <laughs> and uh, whenever Austin and I are, are planning what we're going to talk about for our podcast, we never talk, we, we, we don't talk about what we're going to talk about. We save it all for the podcast. So. Yes. Yes, That's interesting. Um, okay, so you've seen the movie. Who sings Who sings this song in the movie? I don't remember. So the song... So with animated films, like for Beauty and the Beast and for uh, like Aladdin, the songs that are featured in the film are sung by the, vo- the people who do the voices for the characters, and then the songs are re-recorded by pop stars for release, for single release. I could um, be completely wrong, but I want to say that the song is not in the actual movie and that it's in the credits, but it's been probably like at least 16 or 17 years since I've actually seen it. So I want to say that nobody in the film actually sings it, but if, if I'm wrong, I'm sure somebody will correct me out there. Now, I saw the movie once, so I do not remember. I certainly don't have this PTSD shell shock that you have. <laughs> I do know that this Whitney and Mariah version is the end credits, so it's, it's played over the end credits. But it is my understanding, or I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly, but uh, Michelle Pfeiffer is the one who sings it in the movie. Mm. We'll have to check. Well, that now out. I have to watch it again because now I don't know. Yay! So we'll put your TV up on an, an AV cart. Yes. And then we'll try to. <laughs> After we get back from Robbie's house, we'll put it on. Yeah, we have a plan for the rest of the night. <laughs> All right, Austin, track thirteen. 
Track 13. This would be Casey Musgraves and Willie Nelson singing Are You Sure? I believe that Casey Musgraves is one of the most exciting new artists. Her songwriting is brilliant. Willie Nelson is one of the greatest songwriters of all time as well. I'm a huge country fan. Trent is not, but I am. Mm-hmm. And I just... And this is a cover, by the way, of a Willie Nelson song. So... It's a bonus track. I want to say it's a hidden track. It's on a hidden her, track, yeah. On her second album, Pageant Material, which is a brilliant album front to back, and the music video for this is also amazing, but it just... This song for me was really personal because I remember a few years ago, I was just hating living in LA, and I was hating life, and I was like, I'm going to move to Nashville, I'm going to do all this stuff, and, and this song was kind of like the theme of that, just because... The whole, the whole idea of the song is, are you sure this is where you really want to be? And I'm like, no. And that song has always stuck with me because of that. And Casey and Willie have formed this awesome musical bond. He is on her Christmas album. They do a duet called A Willie Nice Christmas. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and they just, again, these are two artists that they, they came together for this song. And then they continued throughout both of their careers to come back and work with each other in such amazing ways. But again, this is the first time and it's just such a beautiful song. Willie is playing his his signature guitar that he's had for probably 50 years now. His solo is gorgeous. The production is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. The whole vibe of the song is like smoky dive bar and it's it's one of those songs that really like hit, hits me in the gut every time I hear it. Um, the thing that struck me about his vocal is it's a very Willie Nelson vocal. Like, he has a very distinctive singing style and performance style, and that's what the first thing that I, that hit me when I heard it. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that the song, that the lyrics spoke to you so much that, you know, inspired you. Like, yeah, you know, am I sure? I'm. I'm not sure. I'm gonna go. Like, and you took off to Nashville and you did that whole thing, which I think is. So cool. Yeah. I mean, I feel like not to get all deep, but I feel like we all have a few moments in life where you, you always remember exactly where you are when like a thought hits you. 100%. And I always remember driving down Melrose. I'd come back from San Diego or something and this song came on and all of a sudden I was just like, oh my God, like I'm not sure. And I always, always, always will remember that time in my life, that exact moment on Melrose when this song played and it just changed my whole worldview in that moment. I've mentioned this a few times in previous episodes, like 100%, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I think everybody who loves music can relate. Music has this crazy inherent power that there are some songs that just take you back to the exact moment you heard it, and you're like transported there. It's like this weird, weird feeling. Yeah, 100%. Um, Just to touch a little bit on, like, I love that you're a a crunchy music fan. I mean, you're a singer-songwriter, you're a guitarist, so... I get that because like, like country music is very much a singer songwriter uh, genre. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I I do not I I'm not a country music fan, but there are some country artists that I really really love. I love Patsy Cline. I mm-hmm. love Loretta Lynn. I love most Dolly Parton. I don't know all of Dolly's, but she's put out some like eight hundred records. I don't know <laughs> them all. Um, you know, I love the Shania stuff. I love the the Taylor Swift stuff, but that's all pop. Um, even when I went to college in Oklahoma, I went to the University of Oklahoma. Like top forty radio there is all country, and I learned about 
Tim McGraw, Alison Krauss, like, um, like all whoever was like popular like at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have an appreciation, and I I like what I like, mm-hmm. um, and I must admit, and I definitely plan to remedy this but Casey Musgraves has been on my list of artists that I need to listen to and to learn more about because I have no doubt based on all of my friends who love her that I would like her too I'm shook that you are not a Casey stan we're gonna fix that immediately what are, what are Casey fans called do they have a name oh shit I, I think so but I don't remember uh, the K- white claws hitting <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so track 14 is my pick, and it's Out of My Head by Churches and Wednesday Campanella. Um, So, when Churches released their last album, Love is Dead, I have to admit, I was super disappointed. Uh, All of their other albums are so fantastic. Churches, to me, are like a modern garbage like, they have their own sound. They, they write and produce their own music. So they, they don't work with other producers. So when, you know, when, when an artist has like a big record and they work with another producer, it changes their sound, and, and that's totally fine. But some artists stay like really, really true to their sound. And, their, their, they, and to me, they kind of have like their own little genres. Like, garbage sounds like garbage. No one else sounds like garbage. No one else can do garbage like garbage can. And the same thing with churches. Like, they're younger and they don't have as much out. But to me, that's I make that correlation between the two. Yeah. And when, when Love is Dead came out, it, that album did not jive with me at all. It was slower. I'm not a big mid-tempo fan of, of songs. So that record was just like a, a letdown for me. And then they did this single with uh, Wednesday Capanella, who's a J-pop outfit. It's through their, it's a J-pop outfit. They're it, they're like a group. It's three members, but the the lead singer, um, she is the voice and the face of the group. Uh, it's upbeat. It's it's very very churches. It's half sung in Japanese, half sung in English. Um, I loved it from the very first second I heard it. It's one of the songs that I was immediately obsessed with. Like, I sometimes go through this weird obsession thing where I, I, I latch onto a song and it's the only thing I listen to over and over and over again for, like, an extended period of time. It went on whatever, you know, playlist I was listening to at the time and, uh, and like, just listened over and over and over again. And it wasn't, it's not a song that I immediately think about when I think about duets because it just seems to me like a church's song with like some Japanese lyrics. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a fantastic collaboration between these two groups, these two outfits, and one of my favorite church's songs, not even on a church's record. I try so hard with churches because I know how much you love them, but I just can never get into them. But... I really love the Japanese portions of this song. And they and what you said about them having a specific sound, they definitely nobody else sounds like that. For it, sure. It's funny, the, the the one and I hate saying this because I mean I mean whatever. Like garbage Shirley Manson does all the singing. None of the guys do any of the singing. They don't either they don't want to or they don't feel the need to. You know, you don't have Butch Vig doing his own song on a, on a garbage, not even in the B-sides or anything like that. 
um, you know, churches, one of the guys has to have two or three songs on the records. And honestly, I do not, I don't like any of those songs. I only like the songs, um, with the, with, uh, the female lead. Well, it's like when you put on an ABBA record or like a Rilo Kylie record and there's always like one song of the guys singing and it's just like, skip. <laughs> <laughs> that's totally it. So I'm not here the, to I'm not here to hear Blake Senate if I'm listening to Rilo that's Kylie. Where, no offense. That's where churches and Rilo Kylie like uh, that. That's where they line up. But um, again, love churches. Uh, overwhelmingly love them as a group, and really, really, really love this song. And it's just a really cool collab between two really cool groups. Yes. All right, so track 15 is your pick, Austin. What did you pick? So this one I picked for you because I know how much you love the Sisters of Mercy. Love the Sisters of Mercy. I have never heard of them except for this song. But the reason I know this song is because one of my queens, Terry Nunn from Berlin, sings on this song. Which is funny because I love the Sisters of Mercy. I never realized that it was Terry Nunn who does the vocals on this track. Yes. So this came at a weird point in Terry's career because Berlin had broken up after Take My Breath Away ripped the band apart, ironically. She tried to go solo. She did this record called Moment of Truth, which she actually recorded at Paisley Park. I did not know that. Yes. So Terry's one and only solo album was recorded at Paisley Park. Holy shit, that's cool. Yeah. She has a whole story about how Prince popped in during the session that I will share with you later. But, um, so that bombed. It's not a great record, honestly. And um, after that, it was kind of like weird. She's like, you know, where do I go? Like my my solo album flopped. Berlin certainly not getting back together. And this for me signifies because much of the the '90s through maybe 2006, like she was really gothy. Like which we which you don't when you think of Berlin or Terry Nunn, you don't think like goth energy. Because people really associate "Take My Breath Away" with Berlin, and it is such. It's like it's a song that they recorded, but they didn't write. Is that correct? Yes, Giorgio Moroder wrote it. Right. So, and it's it's their biggest hit, and it's the one everybody knows. So, and that's why the band broke up because the guys were like, "This is not us." And Terry was like, "But we have Giorgio Moroder, who right. also did No More Words." But um, right. anyway, so so Terry's direction after all of this became decidedly very goth. If you listen to the Berlin, so she she later after the Sisters of Mercy song she. Was she formed a new band, called it quote unquote Berlin. It was only her and like Mitchell Sigmund and these guys that none of the original members, but they were all very goth. And so she was able to use the name. Yes. And this to me signifies the second chapter of her career and kind of informed the entirety of the rest of Berlin's catalog before they reformed with the original members because it's very dark. I don't, I feel like I'm using the word goth way too much, but it's just, it's just goth. Like Sisters of Mercy are very, very goth. There are some goth labels that don't really fit. Um, but when you're talking about the Sisters of Mercy, they're not any, like rock would be the only other thing, Mm -hmm. but they're like goth rock. Like they are goth. So yeah, I think, but this was, this was such a, a pivotal point in her career and it's just a killer song. And, like, like, she's not credited. I don't know why she's not credited, because I'm pretty sure she's in the music video. See, I think that's why, you know, I, I remember I had the CD, um, and I've been meaning to collect all of the Sisters of Mercy records on vinyl. Um, so, but what I'm saying is, 
Um, the reason I didn't realize it was Terry Nunn who sings the vocal on this is that I either didn't look at the liner notes and for sure don't remember if I did. Yeah, I've always thought it was weird how they don't, it's not like featuring Terry Nunn because she's pretty like on it. She's not just like, you know, singing in the background. Yeah. So, yeah, that's Great my pick. Song. Oh, I love that you did that. That's, that's fun that you picked that for me. But <laughs> yeah, for sure. Love Sisters of Mercy. Love Terry Nunn. Love Berlin. Great song. Um, track 16 is my pick. Uh, it is The Long Hard Road Out of Hell uh, by Marilyn Manson and the Sneaker Pips. This song was released on the Spawn soundtrack. Uh, when the uh, producers put together the Spawn soundtrack, the whole theme of the record is to take um, a metal act and to pair them with an electronic act. So every song on the... Um, on the soundtrack is a metal or industrial, a harder rock act and an electronic act. I did not know that. Um, the other song, and I had a hard time picking which one I was going to go with. The other song that I was thinking of going with um, is Can't You Trip Like I Do by Filter and The Crystal Method, another one of my favorite songs. Um, I will for sure feature that song in, in, in an upcoming episode, and I think I know where it's going to go. But anyways, so... This collaboration between Marilyn Manson and Sneaker Pimps. So Sneaker Pimps um, had a big hit with Six Underground. Like, they were electro. Too cool for school. Like, these were, um, you know, these, these, this group, you know, very, you know, they, they, they thought they were cool, cooler than whatever. Uh, Marilyn Manson wrote the song and presented it to them. And they very famously hated the song. They talk about how they thought the song sucked, but, you know, they could make it better or they would have fun with it because they thought it was a cool thing to do, like this whole collaboration for the soundtrack. Um, it's funny. There's an interview uh, with the Sneaker Pimps talking about how much they hate the song. They hated the song when they were presented it and they hated the song the way it turned out. And they, they blame themselves for not being present when the final mix was put together and they put all the blame on it sucking because onto Marilyn Manson. <laughs> and then MTV goes to Marilyn Manson and asks him what he thinks about it. And he's like, I don't even remember their names. I did them a favor. Like, it's, it's very funny. This interview is very funny. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll put clips in where you, you hear a little bit of what the sneaker pimps say and then what Marilyn Manson says in response. We kind of went to it. Um, thinking, yeah, thinking that we were all really excited about it. Yeah, thinking yeah. that we, we had a chance to make a, you know, chance to polish a turd. Yeah. Well, I mean, we knew that they weren't very good, and we thought when we were first approached with it, God, that candle's flaming. Um, we thought, well, you know, we don't like the music, but if we can do something good with them, because I mean, Liam and Chris are already, you know, very good producers. It's about we proving the point. Be good, yeah. But well. we weren't there at the final mix, which was a mistake. Big. Big time. So we had to come back. And I mean, they just, you know, the, it was crap anyway. The, the song was crap. I wouldn't waste my time having hard feelings, you know. I've already forgotten their names, so. <laughs> when we were approached to work with them, uh, it was a bit of a favor in a sense because uh, we had already written a song and I was interested in finding a girl to sing backup vocals on it. And, um, Sneaker pimps were, were someone who were begging and asking to, to be involved with us. And, uh, you know, I wasn't that familiar with them other than I thought they had a good single and I thought the girl's voice was great. Um, 
when we worked on the song, uh, I think they felt a little uh, upset because there wasn't much for them to do because the song was already done. But, uh, you know, uh, their, their participation and now their opinion is, is quite irrelevant to me. Well, I, for one, am a huge Marilyn Manson fan as well, but I have never heard of the Sneaker Pimps until this exact moment, so... Really? Yeah. I'll have to, I'll have to play... Or I'll point you to some Sneaker Pimps songs. I think you'll like them. I, I mean, they're an electro act, um, like a techno act. It, I mean, their name is very 90s, but I love this yeah. song. When I was a kid, Spawn was like the one scary movie I was allowed to watch, so I was... Probably, I was four when this came out. So like, oh my god! <laughs> so when Spawn came out, like that was like, I mean, I'm sure it was a couple years later, but like if it was on TV, like that was the only scary thing I was allowed to watch. But I love this song. I love that he named his memoir after this song, mm -hmm. and it's just like it's so, I don't know. It feels like a sound that he could have done a whole record with, and I'm kind of sad he didn't, because it's just I love the whole vibe of it. It's so like it's so atmospheric. Um, when I think about this song, I also think about the music video. The music video is crazy. It's, there's a lot of religious iconography. He dresses up like the Virgin Mary and she looks like she's dead. It, and he's got like I don't, I don't know long I've seen fingernails that. and we're going to play the video as okay. soon as we're finished with I this. didn't even know there was a video for Oh it. yeah, it's fantastic. It's all Marilyn Manson, the sneaker pimps, wanted nothing to do with this song once it came out. Um, they disavow everything about it. Um, so... Well, where are they now? It's true. It's true. Marilyn Manson just put out a brilliant record. Where are they? That's true. Mm -hmm. Um, and I love the song. I, you know, I'm a huge Marilyn Manson fan, just like you are. So for sure, when I was thinking of duets, this is one of the, the ones that I definitely wanted to go with. All right, so track 17, which I think flows very nicely... <laughs> Um, after listening to uh, this Marilyn Manson sneaker pips yes, duet. Yes, Marilyn Manson's spooky brother, Rob Zombie, who, if there is anybody in this world that is a Rob Zombie stan, it is me. I love Rob Zombie so much, and this song is the most insane thing he's ever done. <laughs> it makes no sense. I, if, you, if, if anyone listening, like, if you haven't been able to tell yet, I love things that make no sense that are just, like, as weird, like, throwing the kitchen sink type of thing. Very indicative of Austin. So those of you <laughs> listening who have never met him, he's very weird. Every, uh, uh, you know, everything in the kitchen sink. Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So this song is uh, Rob Zombie and Lionel Richie with a, a um, nice cameo from the rapper Trina, mm -hmm. the baddest bitch, if you remember, like mm -hmm. 2003. Mm -hmm. And this is a cover of Brick House, which is obviously a Commodore song. But so this song was recorded for... House of a Thousand Corpses, Rob Zombie's first movie. It plays in the credits. Um, if the song wasn't insane enough already, like half the song is like a woman moaning, <laughs> like from a porn sample, and it's just, it's literal. Like when you just when you think of a song as being insane, this is what you think of. And there's a performance that I encourage all of you to look at. I think it's on David Letterman or Jay Leno. And it's Rob Zombie and Lionel Richie and Trina. Wow. And their energies could not be more different. <laughs> like, like when you put these three people on the same stage, it's just like, what? And, but it's like, it's such a great cover. Like, like my, my mother, she is frightened by Rob Zombie. Well, she was before she realized he's just like a nice vegan who lives in Connecticut and raises goats. But she was always very scared of him. And she used to like take his CDs away from me and like hide them because she thought I was turning satanic. 
And she, to this day, says that this version is better than the Commodore's version, and that says a lot. It's a great cover. It's that's, so fun. That's hilarious. And it shows, like, Lionel Richie's um, sense of humor to to want to collab with Rob Zombie, somebody probably never considered collaborating with before this. And then, do you, it's interesting that they went with, like, Trina, the baddest bitch, like, when she pops on and does her, her rap part, it's... That's what makes it for me. Like, it's a it's, it's really fun song, and then you throw in Trina, and you're like, holy shit, this is, like, fantastic. Yeah, and, like, the point, like, a lot of the, the choices that I made for this whole list, the point that I want to make is that sometimes the best art can be created when you take the most unlikely pairings and put them together, and you put them in a room, and say, what can we come up with? We could not be more different, but let's make something. And, like, nine times out of ten, they make the most cool... Nobody would have ever thought of it, but how memorable is it? Piece of art. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, so track 18 is my pick. It is Umbrella Ella. by Rihanna and Jay-Z from her album Good Girl Gone Bad. Uh, one of Rihanna's biggest hits. One of the biggest hits of, what, 2007 when it came out? Yeah. I remember when the song hit, it hit like a nuclear bomb it was on every radio station you know it was on r&b stations it was on top 40 stations the the music video was like in constant rotation um i was semi-living in new york at the time with my partner at the time and his apartment on christopher and gay street was right on the route of the uh, pride parade and it's so funny because we were hanging out his window watching the pride parade like go down Christopher Street and I shit you not every other float was playing this song I mean it was a monster monster hit the gays loved it the straights loved it everybody loved it um this to me represents the song that made Rihanna a star Mm. like Rihanna had put out I think this is her second record uh, she put out like at least two or three singles before this and none of them really hit. They were semi big, I mean, whatever they were, they were singles that people knew and listened to, but they were, it, she did not really reach the stratosphere until this song hit and it just blew up. Yeah. Fantastic song. I mean, I was a junior in high school and I'd never heard of her before and all of a sudden it was just like Little Miss Sunshine everywhere. Yeah. And I was, gosh, I try to remember what I was listening to as a junior in high school, but like also I was closeted living in Temecula, so I was certainly not like, yes, Rihanna. I was probably like, she's so hot. Yeah, no, actually, that's funny that you say that because I just had this memory right now of being a junior in high school and like people would always like be like are you gay bro but then i used to tell people that i had sex dreams about rihanna <laughs> to try and like take Throw the them off the scent of yeah because but the reason that i said that was because in my entire life the only sex dream i've had about a woman was in fact about rihanna oh. and so i was like i'm gonna use this to my benefit i'm gonna <laughs> tell everybody that i know they'd be like hi i'm james i'm like hi i'm austin i just had a sex dream about rihanna and you weren't even lying <laughs> no that's why it felt great because i'm like i'm not lying i'm like maybe i maybe i can be saved but uh alas i could not but well i feel like if rihanna offered herself to you maybe you'd 
give it a try. Hell yeah. <laughs> Rihanna is hot as fuck. But, um, hey, Rihanna, Austin yeah. will stand under your umbrella. Yeah, Ella, Ella. 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 <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, it, that's not the point. The, the song is a great song. Jay-Z's part is great. The mm-hmm. production is great. It's one of the most memorable songs of the 2000s. Everybody... It, I mean, the hook is crazy. It's yes. so crazy, hooky, catchy, infectious. Yeah, and I also, what I love about Rihanna is that she, like, became kind of, like, a running joke, at least... For me at that time because everybody was always just making fun of her for going like hey hey and ella ella but look what she's made of herself since then i mean her music got so much better she became such a great co-writer she's become a mogul it's that whole thing is very much like she's from barbados like that whole like it it wasn't weird i mean if you i think you have to know rihanna and who she is and where she's from to get that whole thing jay-z wrote the song co-wrote the song um, but she totally made it hers. It's a Rihanna song yes. with Jay-Z. Uh, one of the best pop songs for sure of the 2000s. One of my favorite songs. For sure, one of my favorite Rihanna songs. And uh, two things about, well, I remember um, Isotoner was very, very smart. They released, they sold uh, Umbrellas. And they, you know, used her song and they used her in the commercials and I bought an, a, a Rihanna umbrella, hmm. which I own. Because, you know, semi-living in New York, it rains a lot there. I mean, they have weather there, not like here in California where it's beautiful all, all year long. It never rains. Um, and I remember that uh, when I was in New York, I would use my Rihanna umbrella to to shield me from, from the torrential downpours in New York City. I love that. Yeah. All right. Track 19, this is your last song, Austin. My last song. What did you pick? So, I love the placement that you put this at, and you don't know why yet, because you don't, but this song is called I Can't Thank You Enough, and it's by Carly Simon, and it is a duet with her son, Ben Taylor, um, from when she was married to James Taylor. Mm Mm-hmm. And this, she, Carly's last album was recorded in 2009. Since then, she's done no music. The only thing she's recorded is this song. And by all intents and purposes, this will be the final song that she ever releases. Because there's just, I, I just don't believe that she's worked on music since then. I don't think she has any plans to. Hmm. And this song was recorded for her memoir called Boys in the Trees. And... If you read the book, it's a sensational book. The audiobook is even better. Um, she reads it? Yes. Cool. And you realize how much she has struggled with anxiety and stage fright. I mean, she never performs live. Every time she performs live, it's like this insane event that HBO has to cover because it's like, oh my God, Carly Simon's coming out this decade for one show. And the... I feel like her vulnerability comes across so much in this as she sings this with her son because the only the only way that she'll perform live for the past 20 years is if her son and her daughter are singing with her. Wow. And to hear them sing this together as a family and to listen to the words and to see her vulnerability and for her, her to be empowered by her kids is it's such a special song. And I love that it's at the end of this playlist because for me it's like her last song. And it's such, such a beautiful song. Carly Simon was the first CD I ever bought when I was seven at Best Buy with my dad because I love James Bond and her theme was my favorite. So I got her Greatest Hits Live CD. So she's always like, my first musical memories are Carly Simon. Mm. 
And like Cheryl Crow, she's one of my songwriting heroes, somebody that I've studied a lot. And this song is just the perfect end cap to her career. It's just to be singing that with her son. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful song. Uh, again, this is one of the songs that I had not heard before. Um, like Austin is the biggest Carly Simon fan. He, over the entire course of our friendship, has always you know played her for me, made me playlists, and was trying to get me on the Carly Simon bandwagon. And I, I definitely plan to. <laughs> I I have listened to Carly, and she hasn't really grabbed me yet. But I feel like she has such a huge catalog. You know, I, I just need to spend time with it, and I think I think I'll get it. Um, this is a fantastic song. I you know obviously because I'd never heard it before. I didn't know. Um, that it was her collaboration with her son, which is so special and interesting. Like, like this could be the last Carly Simon song that we ever uh, hear. Mm-hmm. I I think it's very likely that that will be the case, and I she's very intentional with what she does, hmm. and I and I believe that that and and it, I mean I'd be happy for her to prove me wrong and put out a new album, but uh, she's I think seventy five and. She if Bob play. Dylan can do it, Carly Simon can do it. <laughs> Bob Dylan is insane. <laughs> I love Bob Dylan so much, but he has never stopped recording or touring. Like, Carly is just, she lives in her house on Martha's Vineyard, and she just seems so fine with just making weird Instagram videos and writing books about Jackie O, which my phone is actually sitting on right now. So, um, I think it's a... I, I don't know, like, I think about David Bowie and I think about how Black Star ends with I Can't Give Everything Away and how, mm-hmm. like, that is just the most perfect final song. Mm-hmm. And this is the same way I feel about Carly. Like, if you know Carly's discography, this is the most perfect way that she could end, that she could have a, a bookend of her work. And as much as I'd love to hear new work, I think this is a perfect way to end her career. Yeah. That sounds very depressing. I don't mean it like that, but it's just, it's perfect. It's a perfect song. Um, all right, so track 20... Uh, the last song on our playlist, my pick, and uh, I went with Legends Never Die uh, by Orville Peck and Shania Twain. This is the one song that we both picked on our initial lists. It was. Um, and, you know, Austin was like, all right, I'll pick something else. Um, so he, he swapped his out. Um, you, can thank, um, you can thank Legends Never Die for the inclusion of Brick House 2003. <laughs> Um, full disclosure, I am not an Orville Peck fan. I have tried to get into him. Uh, I have mentioned this before. I naturally gravitate to female voices. So overwhelmingly, I, I much prefer female voices. So the, the male voices that I, I respond to that I really like, you know, the, I really, really love them. So it's hard for men to win me over sonically. <laughs> um, but I I do like this song. Um, I remember you and I were texting the day that this EP came out. So it's on his, uh, show, his show Pony EP, the, his most recent release. Yes. Um, and the first time I heard the song was by watching the music video. And it's so cool, like Orville Peck has this, this, his thing is you don't see his face, he always wears this mask, it's like this fringe mask, you see his eyes, but then the fringe hangs over his, the rest of his face. Very much like Prince's chain mask that he wears in the My Name is Prince video. Very much. Which I love. So 
I love the idea of Orville Peck. I feel like he... What I think is, I think I need to see him live, and I think that will do it for me. Because it's like, I like him, but I don't love him. And I don't like him enough to listen to him enough to get into it. Mm -hmm. I think he's an artist where I need to see live. Very much like I had to see Tori Amos live to really have that door opened. And then I was like, full, full bore in. Um, I mean, you know, going back to the Tori thing... You know, my friend made me a mixtape of Tori and all these B-sides and these live performances. And I was like, cool, like, you know, cool, whatever. But then when I saw her live, the live experience, her, her voice, like, just echoing in the concert hall and the power of her performance, like, smacked me in the head. And I was like, oh, I get it. And then I was like crazy, crazy obsessed. And I kind of feel like that's what I need. I need a live Orville Peck performance to, to get me on board. But he is one of the rare artists that I will, if he is anywhere within driving distance, I will make time to see him because his show is so great. I remember, I don't know if it was like at the start of this year or maybe it was the end of last year, but he had a show scheduled up at the Ventura Theater and living in LA, uh, obviously LA has a lot of venues some of the best venues in the world, but it's a pain getting to concerts around here and parking is a thing. Um, driving down to San Diego is a pain because you have all this traffic between here and San Diego. But when you're driving north or east out of LA, no traffic, and even if it's a far distance, you get there relatively quickly because of the traffic thing and there's free parking and it's fantastic. So I love seeing shows up in Ventura. And I remember Orville Peck had a show in Ventura and that's the show that I should have gone to, and had I gone to that show, I think that this would be a very different conversation. But yeah. getting back to this song, what's really clever about the music video is, and the first way I heard this, is you see the music video, and the music's playing, and then you know Orville steps up to the microphone, and he opens his mouth, and then Shania, you hear Shania's vocal, yeah, which is so cool. It's so cool the way they did that. I love Shania Twain, um, you know, she had a residency that she'd be doing now in Las Vegas if it were not for the whole coronavirus thing. Which we will go to once it resumes. 100%. She's the one, her and Rob Zombie are the two people that I've never seen live that I must see live. I have seen Shania Twain in concert. I saw her at Pine Knob uh, Amphitheater in Clarkston, Michigan. I remember when, okay, so this is not really about Shania Twain because it's an Orville Peck song, but uh, let me just get this out really quickly. Um, my, my really good friend, Sherry, uh, back home in Michigan is, is a country music fan and she's the one who kind of got me onto like, she, you know, Shania's first record and Any Man of Mine and Whose Bed Have Your Boots Been Under, like, those are really, really fun songs. I'm like, oh, I like her. And then she, she, you know, her next, her, her next album's got more poppy and bigger and I fell in love with her. So big Shania Twain fan from almost the beginning. When uh, Shania was like riding high with like her uh, The Woman in Me album, uh, she was playing uh, the, this amphitheater. And I distinctly remember going for, I, I love to be as close to the stage as possible, obviously. But for this show, I bought a lawn ticket because I wanted to be on the lawn, you know, with the other country Shania fans drinking like, you know, tall boy 
PBR. PBRs. Yeah. And I remember hooting and hollering at the Shania Twain concert, and I was like, holy shit, I love her. Like, and, and to me, that tour was way more country, or it was at least the last vestiges of her country, country Shania. Mm-hmm. After that, she got more poppy. The last time I saw her, I want to say in the past, well, I was here and living in LA, so at least in the past 10 years, she played the Staples Center, and it was like, you know, Beyonce-level video screens. And the one you went to was the Rock This Country tour. Yes. Huge, huge production. Uh, what was what was fun about that show is she was doing That Doesn't Impress Me Much, and the power went out. Like, like something, there was like um, a truck had hit like a, a transformer or something, and it blew out power in all of downtown LA, and the whole place was completely dark. And I'm not kidding, like, people kind of freaked out a little bit because it was like, what the fuck's going on? Um, but the power wasn't off for very long, and then the show, you know, continued, picked up right where it left off, and I have a very distinct memory, and I'm like, like closing my eyes and I'm picturing it. She was, you know, the, the video screen with these big, like, uh, cheetah, cheetahs walking back and forth, like, and that's what I remember about that performance, so... Huge Shania Twain fan, and so I've definitely seen her live. You need to see her live. Yes. And when 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 we get back to seeing live shows and uh, she resumes her residency in Vegas, we will definitely see Shania Twain in Vegas. You need to see Orville. And hopefully she'll bring up Orville Peck to, to perform a song with her. And I just must say one thing about Orville Peck is I got the luxury to meet Orville Peck at Amoeba, and he was the nicest, coolest, sweetest, best hugger, super hot. I, I've, I've heard this, that he's really, really good to his fans, and um, uh, I have a friend who uh, loves him and has seen him live, and I've only heard the best things about him as a person. Yeah. Again, I like him. I just feel like I either need to spend more time with his music, and maybe that'll click, or a live performance will, will do the trick to, to, yeah. to bring me fully up. And the cool thing about Orville is, like, I'm not going to, like, reveal his true identity because, you know, he's, like, you know, secret, but... That's the other thing about, like, Orville Peck, if you're not aware. So he wears this mask because it's not about who he is, so yeah. he, he doesn't talk about his real name. I mean, you can find information if you really want to, but I think it's more but fun... But don't do that because it kind of ruins it. Yeah, like, his but... whole persona is, like, his, his mask persona... And he wants you to listen to his music. Like, yes. it's about his voice, and it's about his, his, his musical performance and his songs. Yes, and the thing about who his true identity is, is he's always, for a very, very, very long time, many years, been a drummer and a musician in a ton of bands, and he's always just, he's always played music. And I think that for him to blow up finally in this new persona, that's what makes it so cool, because he was always just a musician. Yeah. He wasn't like you know setting out to be a star and I think what made him so successful is the fact that he removed his own self and like or at least his face yeah like you get the sense that he's a very attractive man yeah um, but it's not about him being like a hot guy it's about him being like a you know fantastic musician yeah yeah and what he said in an interview that really struck me was that by by removing himself from the music he could be more honest and mm-hmm. he could and he could write more honestly and more literally than he could if he was as himself which i think is genius so so yeah so those are the the our favorite duets um again i feel like our playlist 
it meshes so well. Mm-hmm. The songs that we selected, independent of one another, blend together so nicely. The, the, the track listing plays really well. This is the playlist that I've listened to the most since I made it and since I started this, this, this podcast. I mean, obviously I love all of the playlists that I make, but um, this one I just keep listening to over and over again because it's, it's a nice range of different music styles with, you know, a host of my favorite performers, songs that I'm not familiar, some songs I'm not familiar with and I'm learning and loving. And um, as with most duets, I feel like the very successful ones are where you have two distinct personalities and they come together to make something new and cool. And um, I think that, you know, I think we agree on a lot of things, but where we don't agree, there's a there's nice overlap and they complement one another. So, I mean, like a good duet, I think we did a pretty good job with our playlist. We have great taste. And we definitely have great taste. <laughs> and we also have the ability to learn from one another, mm. which is one of my favorite things about our relationship. Even though there is a little bit of a disparity between our ages, um, we're able to learn from one another and uh, stuff that I love that you're not familiar with. You know, I have, you know, some experience and authority to to share with you and vice versa, you know, so, yeah. Yep. So that's all we have for you. Um, stay tuned. These, these uh, alleged uh, Robbie Williams rap performances may or may not come. Uh, if they come... You're going to hear them now. If they don't come, I'm going to edit this out so you'll never know that I even mentioned this. So, yeah. All right. So, hope you guys uh, enjoy this episode. Um, Go listen to this playlist. You're going to love it. Uh, We hope you love it as much as we do. And I will be coming back at you next time. Bye. Bye. Okay, so I actually didn't think I was serious when I mentioned that uh, Austin and I should sing the Robbie Williams rap from Kids and then post our performances uh, for comparison. Um, But then the more I thought about it, and the more I thought about how many times I belt out that whole entire song, including the rap, in my car, I was like totally down for it. Ultimately, Austin decided he did not want to participate, but I am a man of my word, so I went ahead and recorded my own version of Robbie Williams' rap. So what I'm going to do now is play you the original uh, version of Robbie rapping in his song with Kylie Minogue Kids, followed by my version of uh, my rapping of the, the, the lyric from Kylie Minogue and Robbie Williams' song, Kids. So here you go for your listening and pleasure. Please don't hate me for doing this to you. First up, Robbie Williams, then me, then I'm out. I care for sodomy, I don't know, yeah, probably I'll be looking for sodomy
serial monogamy Not some bird that looks like Billy Connolly But for now I'm down with ornithology Grab your binoculars, come follow me I like to drink it up but never like to sink it uh -uh. I like to drink it up but never like to sink it uh -uh. I like to drink it up but never like to sink it uh An honoree, Sean Connery, born 74. There's only one in me, single-handedly raising the economy. Ain't no chance of the record company dropping me. Press me a skin, do I can't beside of me? I don't know, yeah. Probably I've been looking for serial monogamy. Not some bird that looks like Billy Connolly. But for now, I'm down with ornithology. Grab your binoculars. Come and follow me. I like to drink it up, but never like to sip it. Uh uh. I like to drink it up, but never like to sip it. Uh uh. I like to drink it up, but never like to sip it. Uh uh. Uh uh. Uh uh. Uh uh. Uh uh. I like to drink it up, but never like to sip it. Uh uh. I like to drink it up, but never like to sip it. Uh uh. I like to drink it up, drink it up, drink it up, like a beat, y'all. I to the four to the beat, nah nah nah. I to the four to the beat, nah nah nah. I to the four to the beat, nah nah nah. Uh huh uh huh uh huh uh huh uh huh. I to the beat, y'all. 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 I to the beat, to the beat, to the beat, to the beat, 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 beat. Oh yeah. Each episode of Spooky Electric has a playlist that I have created for each individual episode. The playlist can be found on my Spotify account, Trent Venegas, in the playlist folder titled Spooky Electric. The playlist track listings are listed on the Spooky Electric Instagram at Spooky Electric, where the O's are zeros. S-P-0-0-K-Y-E-L-E-C-T-R-I-C.